We are back at EarthX at Fair Park in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is a great conference, and we've been sitting through the energy panel discussions today, EarthX Energy, and uh, had a chance to talk to some great people. And we have another great guest on the American Shoreline podcast. So, welcome back, everybody, to EarthX. I'm Peter Ravella. And this is Tyler Buckingham. And we have a special guest today, Rod Baltzer, who is the chief operating officer of a company headquartered in Berkeley, California, called Deep Isolation. And uh, Rod, you guys are involved in trying to find the right solution to nuclear waste disposal. Tell us about yourself, what your role is at the company, and introduce us to the work that you do. You bet. Thanks, Peter. I, I appreciate being on the show. So my name is Rod Balter. I'm the chief operating officer. And so that means I do everything uh, that will take this waste and be operational with it. Uh, siting it at a local community, uh, getting the technology developed, licensing it, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, we're a startup company, so we're about two years old. We've only got about a dozen employees. Uh, but we've made great strides, and it's all privately funded, uh, a, a non-government um, uh, effort to dispose of spent nuclear fuel. The fabulous work of the great American free market economy uh, looks for opportunities and then tries to find solutions that are economically profitable, right? And uh, the, the issue that you guys work on is in the United States, we have, I don't know how many nuclear power plants, I would say dozens, I think. Do you know how many we have? So we had 104 a, a few years ago, and they've been decommissioning. I think the number is 98 now. So 98, 98 plants, and even those old ones that operated in clouds produced uh, spent fuel rods and nuclear waste, and that typically is stored in America on those sites in uh, pools, typically, or some sort of casks and pools. There's no centralized repository for nuclear waste in America, in spite of decades of effort by our government to do it. Uh, and your company is trying to step into that breach, into that space, and say, look, we have to be able to work with this. And it's important as a climate issue because nuclear power happens to be a carbon neutral energy source. Uh, is, is that sort of the idea of the company? That's exactly right. It, it got founded by people who were worried about the climate. Uh, they started looking at the various sources of power. Uh, nuclear just didn't have a disposal solution, and they didn't know why. It's a very compact fuel. Um, it's, it's, you know, technologically, you can handle that fuel. We've got the capabilities. We do that every day in the U.S. Uh, but there was no forward progress. A lot of that was community and stakeholder engagement related. Uh, but this is also a new technology that is small, modular, and you can put it at uh, nuclear power plants. You can also do a regional disposal facility. All right. So I think, and because I'm not uh, real familiar with the nuclear industry and the nuclear power plants and what's happening, I do have probably the generalized fear of nuclear power that most Americans have, sort of like, gee, was that thing in Fukushima? That didn't go very well. That's kind of a nightmare. We don't want any of this stuff. How did you talk to the public about nuclear energy and nuclear power and waste, but just the overall concept of nuclear power is it's got a bit of a black eye, doesn't it? Un it's uh, it's amazing what the Simpsons have done for nuclear waste. Um, <laughs> everybody thinks of these barrels of green goo that's a liquid, uh, some bumbling guy who's eating a donut half paying attention to his job, and you could not be further from the truth. Um, nuclear 
power. It, these uranium fuel is a solid. It doesn't go into drums like that. It goes into very sophisticated concrete casks that are stored out on, on pads when it's out of the pool. As you said, you know, uh, two-thirds of the fuel is in a, a pool uh, 60 feet deep, so it's got a lot of water under it. And then uh, as it ages, they move it into dry casks. About a third of the fuel is outside in a dry cask. Uh, the nuclear safety record is incredibly impressive. Uh, somebody uh, today spoke and said they had, I think it was over 100 deaths at national parks last year. Uh, that is phenomenally higher than we had in all of the nuclear power plants last year. Uh, so it, it is incredible, the safety record. And to have something that's carbon-free emissions, I think, is important, uh, particularly as baseload power. And I think that's a concept that I, we, we should explain to the, our audience a little bit about baseload power versus where renewables fit in the stack of energy generation facilities. Baseload power means you can turn on the switch. It's going to be running no matter what. And it is sold. The first layer of power sold typically is baseload power. And in a very important part of the energy mix, uh, wind may not blow. Even if you can store it, it's got some past problems. Same with many things are not uh, co combustion turbine power is not baseload power that's peak power so uh, the nuclear industry and the nuclear power industry can play this role if you can overcome the resistance do is there enough energy in the american public or in our elected leadership to take another fresh look at nuclear power what are you seeing out there in terms of the receptiveness to this stuff the uh, nuclear power industry is is uh, not doing well in the U.S. I mean, uh, we are decommissioning plants much faster than we're building them. Even as we try to build them, they're over budget and behind schedule. Uh, we haven't really had practice at that, and a lot of that is the public stigma. Um, you know, it's it's not considered you know safe or environmentally friendly, um, and so a lot of people I think don't look uh, at the science as as hard as maybe they should. Um, and, and some are, are just opposed. And uh, you will always have people in, in camps who have their opinions and, and will not be changed. Uh, but it is important to, um, you know, have an open mind. And regardless of where you're at on nuclear power, uh, there's still a problem and we need to solve it. Uh, we definitely have people at our company who are not proponents of nuclear power, uh, which is really interesting for a company that's trying to dispose of nuclear waste. Uh, but the one thing we all agree on is there's a waste problem and we need to solve it. Yeah, and and I want to get into actually the methodology of managing this waste. I think that that is, is kind of the logical next step. But before we go there, I do want to circle back to this what Peter's talking about, which is this uh, stigma issue. Um, you know, I remember in the 90s, I was a kid just starting to watch the news and I remember, you know, I think it was France, some some enormous percentage of uh, their power was nuclear. And uh, whenever, um, you know, it was my grandfather, I said, he said, like, you know how much, you know, we could power this whole town on a shoebox full of waste. You know, he's like, we can manage that. That was his philosophy. But still the, the stigma, and I grew up in a very, I mean, Berkeley, where y'all are from, is a, it has a reputation. And Ojai, where I'm from, has a reputation for being quite crunchy granola. And boy, if I brought that up in school, it would just be shot down. I mean, <laughs> you can't talk about it. And, and I, I, I just, I want to tie a bow on that. Like, why... Is that going to change? Is climate change going to change the way we look at nuclear power? Because we're going to say 
we can't continue to to burn fossil fuels the way we have. So we are going to be forced to become unlikely bedfellows with this former enemy and or not enemy, but this 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 means of creating power that uh, because of disasters, I mean, because of real disasters, I think is the reason why the stigma exists. And also the weapons I mean, the fact that it we have nuclear weapons and nuclear and it, I think we, in our minds, we uh, cross the cross those wires. But uh, is that kind of is that what you're thinking and what the company's thinking is perhaps there will be a resurgence in nuclear power? You know, our, our, our company is not to uh, have a resurgence, but to have a solution for the waste. Okay. Uh, whatever happens on the front end happens on the front end. Uh, but, I, but I think we've heard a lot at this conference about a lot of uh, bipartisan efforts to try to solve climate change. And I don't think you can walk into climate change and say, this is the one thing I'm not going to move on, because that's how we got here. Um, and so we're going to have to move. We're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to do a lot of things. Well, let's talk a little bit about deep isolation, and I think I, you framed it quite well. The company's focus is on there is an existing uh, uh, body of nuclear waste. This is radioactive material that was in the power production world. We're not talking about bomb waste. We're not talking about Hanford Nuclear Reservation or any of that stuff. Uh, and it's stored around uh, in really insecure situations now. So what is deep isolation, and how do you think we can handle this stuff? Yes, our our name kind of explains it. So what we're going to do is use horizontal drilling techniques that they perfected over the last 20 years. And we'll go several thousand feet deep into a impermeable, uh, very low permeable rock formation. That may be shales. It may be crystalline basement rock like granite. Um, At that point, we'd turn horizontal and we could go out up to two miles. Uh, We'd take an individual fuel assembly. Uh, enclose it in a corrosion-resistant metal canister. Let me let me pause you, because I think when you say fuel assembly, it tells a lot about what we're talking about here. In when you use that term, that is a term of art in the nuclear power industry, and and it refers to a fuel rod, so something that is long and narrow. Right? Is that am I right on that? Yep. And, and thanks for stopping me. Please do that because uh, yeah. you, you get used to this every day. But, <laughs> Thank you. But a fuel assembly has a bunch of fuel rods in it, and it's uh, approximately 12 inches in in diameter. It's usually square or or hexagonal or something like that. Uh, But it's about 15 feet tall and about 12 inches in diameter. It's got multiple fuel rods made up of little fuel pellets. Um, And so that's the thing that we would have put in a overpack. Okay, and after that is put into the reactor and it does its things and the and the and the uranium is depleted to a certain level and it's no longer producing enough heat they take out that assembly and they can and you can package it up right and you're going to take those packages and put them deep underground is that sort of what we're doing yeah so right now they take them out and they put them in this pool which is where they cool because they are thermally hot Uh, they also have a lot of radiation that's why it's so deep so they've got the water as a radiation shield Uh, once that cools enough they can move it to a dry cask Uh, but once that cools enough we can also just dispose of it and so we would take that individual canister put it in a metal case and then put it deep underground horizontally Uh, That metal canister would then rest on the bottom of the drill hole. Um, That metal canister allows it to lock in place so we can space these exactly where we need them to be. And if we needed to, we could come back and retrieve them. So if somebody wanted to reuse that fuel, somebody today said it was certified pre-owned fuel. 
If somebody wanted to come back and reprocess that or get the power out of it, they could at some future date, whether that's 10 years from now or 1,000 years from now. I would like to ask a question about the methodology there of going down and then doing kind of the the slant drum. By the way, your logo is yeah. really well done <laughs> because when you're describing this, it, for, for our listeners, it, it depicts a... Uh, a, a hole in the earth there's mountains and it shows you go down and, and it hangs a right and there's a little it looks like a little fuel canister i would say in there uh dropped off so uh i can understand through that little uh logo exactly what's going on here but tell me a little bit about why we would want to drill in that fashion is that to access a certain type of geology deep under the earth or is that to create more space what's the what's the method there yeah so so the they contemplated so first the u.s has uh, typically been a large mind repository and so for a large mind repository you've got to have humans who dig out that formation and you've got to have trucks move that waste away so you're looking at tunnels that are close to 18 feet wide uh, you've got ventilation shafts and other things and it gets a bigger pathway is what i would call it uh, they looked at a smaller just vertical where it went just straight down into the earth and it was smaller it was about three feet or so in diameter and it went down about five uh, kilometers about three miles um, but as you stack the waste on top of each other that's a lot of weight this this is very heavy fuel yeah. it's also thermally hot and so you get some temperatures there and you can get a direct pathway because the waste is right under where you drilled so this takes a right as you said and so you don't have anything right above the waste. It's thousands of feet of rock that you haven't disturbed. If it is going to go down, and, and it's uh, uh, noticeable in the logo as well, there's a slight uptick, about three degrees in that horizontal area. And that's on purpose. So that if you have anything that is mobile toward the uh, up, toward the surface, it will hit the dead end. There's nothing there. Uh, so at the back end of that, you have that vertical. We'd plug that, of course. Uh, but all the waste is further away. And how deep are we talking here? Uh, so typically we'd say several thousand feet. Uh, so you could say roughly you're a mile deep and two miles horizontal. It depends on the geology. It depends on the site. It depends on a lot of factors. But generally that's what you could talk about. I've got to ask a question because uh, this, when I when I see this, I'm thinking, boy, this, this uh, reminds me of our carbon sequestration or geologic storage uh, discussion which is similar and we've we've had similar i'm sure like you have similar concerns uh-oh what if it comes out we think that we think it's we we believe it to be very stable down there and what if it were to get out and in, in the carbon situation um the best sites are ancient beaches you know that are now many of them are off uh, shore and the, the method was to actually drill from the shore. And it, it have is that similar here? Or, uh, would there be uh, under ocean or, I guess, submerged drilling land being used? Or is this going to be strictly kind of uh, in the upland? Here I see a mountain in the logo. So maybe we're near the mountains. <laughs> it's a very it, accurate logo. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, wherever you'd like this to be. But, oh, really? but more importantly, maybe not you, but the community. So okay. if there is a local community and they've got ideas that they would like it to go out into the ocean, we could definitely do that. If they'd like it not to go in the ocean, we can do that as well. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've got a mountain or a flat prairie or, or what. It's the geology. Yeah. So, Rod, I think that's an important qualifier that you just added. It is the geology. And in, a, in, in talking to the carbon sequestration scientists who are doing directional drilling and, and pumping liquefied carbon 
underground. They're very sensitive, of course, to the nature of the layer, the thickness of the layer, what the overburden is. Is it capable? What's the stability? Is there groundwater nearby? What are the fault lines? All of this stuff. So these are very high-tech decisions in terms of, of subsurface geology. And I'm wondering, I, I take it that your company, Deep Isolation, is not a, in, in the business of identifying the layers, or are you? Is that something that you, you're working on, or can you tell us? Is there a site? And, uh, it, it, you know, what's the story on, the, on your connection to the actual geography? Because it doesn't exist everywhere. Yeah, and, and so we have uh, surveyed uh, 20 states that have nuclear power plants to look, do, do they have a shell layer or a granite layer or something that looks like it would potentially be a good layer for us? Okay. Almost all of them do. And so it depends how deep you need to go, but you can find that layer. And for us, the horizontal is really interesting because you can, you can trace that particular layer, even if it undulates and goes up and down, you can follow that layer and stay kind of in the middle of that layer or, or whatever depth you need to be within that. Right. And so that's important. The same checklist you just listed off for carbon sequestration is the same we're looking at. What, what, what we also are doing is looking at radioactive isotopes. So some of those get generated naturally on the surface. Yep. And if you find those and they're young, they don't, their half-life hasn't expired, at depth, there's probably a connection from surface to depth. Hmm. Probably not a good place. Okay. You also need to check, did depth go to surface? Is it one way up? And so there's, again, radioisotopes you can tell. Are, are there different levels, uh, layers of those isotopes as you go up? Got it. So there's a lot of uh, really interesting scientific data you can gather on this to get a really good technical solution. Okay, so site selection is a key thing. Characteristics of these subsurface layers, absolutely, the, uh, uh, it's kind of the box that's going to hold these canisters. Absolutely. But uh, when we sit down with the, the folks on carbon sequestration, Tyler and I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Dr. Catherine Romanak, who's the risk analyst for the entire carbon sequestration research team at the University of Texas Bureau of Economic Jolly, the best geologist in the state of Texas, I think. Uh, no, no offense to my friends at A&M, but uh, <laughs> they have a whole program that is designed to, to develop the monitoring progr- pro- protocols that are going to be utilized to ensure that what they think is going to happen does happen. Talk to us about monitoring. Talk us to us about risk management. Where does that fit into your thinking? Yeah, so so you get done, say 10 years, you've put the fuel in, the borehole's done. Uh, so at that point, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to keep uh, some fiber optic cable in there and monitor what it, what is the heat? Is it acting like we thought it was? Is it following our model? Everything look kosher? Or do you cut those wires to make sure you don't have a pathway to the surface? Uh, so that's a decision to be made. Uh, do you have holes nearby? Uh, we can dispose of this in multiple holes near near each other and can monitor to see is there any kind of transmission between those holes that we didn't expect. Right. What is the, do you mind if I ask, what is the capital, uh, what is the capitalization of of deep isolation, if you, it, it, how much is it? Does it take to, to develop a company to try to do this? So is that a, I know that may be proprietary, but it's more than hundred bucks. <laughs> we we're, 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 we we've uh, made it public that we've raised a little over ten million dollars to date, uh, fully from uh, high net worth individuals. Uh, it's not private equity or anything else. It's on both sides of the aisle. It's on both sides of nuclear issues. Uh, everybody agrees we need to do something to help the environment and clean up nuclear waste is one of those items. Can I, 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 I want to help, help me understand the uh, innovation that happened because 
uh, as Peter said, this has been something that I know has been kind of sitting on the back burner of federal politics. Uh, sometimes it bubbles up to the surface and we hear, oh, are we going to yuck a mountain? Are we going to re- are we going to do it like that? I'm. I know that one of the problems, big problems with disposing nuclear waste is transporting it. That's risky. Um, so this, of course, you, you mentioned earlier that you could potentially do this on site, which has an advantage of d- dramatically uh, decreasing your transportation risks. Um, but aside from that, I mean, did you guys invent the idea of drilling a hole and putting these canisters in it? Is that what you guys did? Or have you? is there another innovation in there? Yeah, and and let's come back to transportation. But sure. So, yes, we did invent this. Cool. The the founders. Uh, so Rich Muller, he's a uh, professor of physics. He's he's retired now at UC Berkeley, and his daughter Liz, and they were worried about climate change and other things. Uh, they had paid a lot of attention to natural gas and horizontal drilling, uh, but they were focused on nuclear at the time. And they heard about the DOE vertical borehole program. We went straight down, but the way Rich thinks. He was thinking as they were talking that they were describing a horizontal and he went oh that's a really elegant solution why hasn't anybody thought of that before and then he realized they were talking about just vertical and he said i guess nobody has developed that before this is really important this solves a lot of issues because you've got all this rock that's been undisturbed it holds the canisters and the weight is off of them thermally it's spread out so that's a, a real plus as well um, and, and so he just started running with that idea. I mean, it's so simple. I love, I mean, again, I'm going to return to this logo. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it is it is such a simple and elegant innovation. And, uh, and for the audience that would like to see that logo, you yeah. can go to deepisolation.com and check it out. We've even got videos that show cool. uh, an animation of how this whole thing works. That's that's great. I mean, I, I do, I one of the things, I mean, we're in the podcasting world, but... Uh, you know the whole purpose of of this network was to bring a whole the, the entire discussion into under one podcast network so that we could really uh, unite what we would we called these kind of siloed groups that kind of you know the coastal engineers were in the coastal engineering space and the uh, federal policy people were in the federal policy space and yeah. never would the two like really truly listen to each other I mean w- because we they're specialists and oh those guys you know that's not my thing and what I love about this and I mean literally I'm learning about this as we talk so but this is a uh, this is an example of an elegant and simple design improvement that uh almost happened by accident <laughs> like he you thought that they were, came up with it and he was oh that's a really good idea yeah just kind of an accidental idea it's uh it's accidental but it's now been patented so don't try this at home uh and uh, we've got <laughs> see two. what happens when you listen to people <laughs> right. you, you you never know what you're gonna <laughs> and, and, and you know people may get ideas from this podcast I know, I know. send them to us we're happy to uh, facilitate that but we have been working on patents we've got I think a little over 20 that are pending. We've got two that have been issued. Um, And so we're working toward the technology development. Uh, We've tested this and demonstrated it, uh, not with radioactive waste, but just with smaller sized canisters, uh, just to prove the technology works. And we've been uh, very um, proactive in the industry at conferences and and doing podcasts and other things to try to get the message out that this is something that we think everybody should be able to get behind. Uh, we think private entity definitely has a role, uh, and if we could get 
uh, funding to continue this a little further, this would be ideal. Well, I want to do a little bit of math here because the uh, fuel assembly you described 12 inches in diameter roughly uh, and maybe about 15 feet long, and that's going to be encased in some sort of incredibly bulletproof stainless steel super titanium whatever box can canister. So I'm going to just say that that thing ends up being 20 feet long. And so 5,280 feet in a mile divided by 20 feet, we could put 264 canisters in a mile of tunnel. Is that kind of, am I doing it right? Yeah, that, that's actually really good math. Okay. And, and it would take about eight of those drill holes uh, for a 60-year uh, supply of of uh, previously uh, owned fuel okay. at a nuclear power plant. That's what I wanted to get to. So if you if you need eight miles of tunnel at about 20 foot per canister, you could store one nuclear power plant's waste for six, uh, that was generated over a period of six decades, and which is really the life of a, a really the life of a nuclear plant is less than is usually 50, right? Something like that. Yeah, we, we've seen uh, renewals hit 60, a couple have hit 80, but uh, let's just call yeah. it 60 years for each. Okay, so let's see. Th th so it, this helps me with the scale and how big of a problem is this and, you know, how many of these facilities might you have to generate. But if you could if you could go to a nuclear power plant and there was the 60 years worth of waste and you put a drilling rig there and you drill eight directional holes into the right layers and boom, we, we slide those things down the hall and we tuck them over there, you know, horizontally one after the other there we're done and what do we fill it up with cement we call it good get a check go to the bank yeah and and we would use things other than just cement um yeah. obviously you'd have some cement but after several hundred years does that cement turn to sand so right. some of the native rock layers the shales etc even some of those rocks they they expand over time they kind of grow and creep and so mm -hmm. if you do have little holes or fractures from when you drill down and you've injured the the wall right there it'll grow and creep and kind of weld itself back together okay. so that's we want to make sure we're using mother nature as much as possible gotcha rod baltzer chief operating officer for deep isolation uh company and you can find him at deepisolation.com that's right look him up and uh i guess you're looking for investors we're always looking for investors as a startup and uh, we're always looking for uh, nuclear power plants or communities that are interested in this so for all you nuclear power plant managers out there give rod a call he's got an answer to your waste problems give him a call today at deep isolation thank you so much rob thanks for having me